Welcome back to The Growing Revolution. My name is Eric with Smart Pot Fabric Planters, and we are really excited for today's episode. We have a special guest, none other than Dr. Earth himself, founder and CEO of Dr. Earth, Milo Seamus. Milo, how are you doing today? Good morning. I'm doing well. How are you, Eric? Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I have a number of interesting questions that our uh, viewers, I think, would love to hear about, uh, about your background, um, how you, you know, started up the company and, and where you're going. So I guess, you know, let's, let's rewind. Can you describe your introduction into gardening and, you know, who introduced you into this awesome industry? Um, it was, you know, just uh, a complete accident, really. My mother turned me on to gardening when I was uh, six years old. And uh, so, I mean, I started just, I took a passion in it. And it was not so certain that it was my mother's influence. I know that's a huge part of it. But I had a personal interest in, in, in you know, in, in the garden. And um, right after she turned me on to it, I happened to study the lesson between the pilgrims and Indians in, in third grade. And how the um, how the Indians taught the uh, pilgrims to bury their uh, fish carcass at the base of the corn stalk and um, and feed it that way, so nothing goes to waste. And I just happened to learn that lesson. And my father took me fishing. I grew up in, uh, in Los Angeles. He took me on the half day boat in Santa Monica, and I just saw these guys. You know, the deckhands filleting all the uh, fish fillets and then throwing everything else uh, overboard. So I went up to the deckhand. I said, "Hey, can I have that?" waste material taken home for uh, my mom to garden with and and we did and she you know like a great mother she allowed me to use it in the backyard we had a bumper crop best uh, vegetable garden we ever had so it was at that moment that i realized okay i think there's something here that's way bigger than than, than me i'm supposed to do this and you know one thing leads to another very first elective junior high school was botany ace the class so i mean i just kind of grew into it then i went off to uh, to college and i studied uh, plant biology and um i just became an organic gardener it's just it's really in my dna now, eric it's just who i am i love to garden i love 19 years old when the other kids were drinking coca-cola and eating uh donuts and stuff like that i was drinking back before juicing was like you know the thing to do oh yeah i mean wait there was only one juice bar in los angeles it was called the beverly hills juice club even though it wasn't in beverly hills it was um but anyways, it was the coolest place. It was near my father's shop, so I'd go there after school. And I got turned on to juicing. So, I mean, really just a, that's a quick summary of everything organic, everything natural, and, you know, just uh, the garden being a really clean place for a guy like me in Los Angeles that doesn't, you know, you don't really have access to um, agriculture. You know, growing up in the city, everything is concrete, so the backyard seems to be the only natural place for someone like me. So that was kind of yeah. the impetus and how I fell in love with gardening. So you started Dr. Earth out of your parents' garage uh, with a generous loan from your father. Can you describe the beginnings of the company and you know how you started it and, and launched it? I was um, 24 years old and I had this crazy idea of starting an organic fertilizer company. And back then there really wasn't, there was one company doing organics but they weren't very successful. Um, you know, from the time I was about 19 to 23, I was doing extensive experimentation 
with uh, biologicals. And what really started it for me was I was using biologicals that were designed for bovine uh, digestive tract. So really, there was no soil inoculant. There was uh, inoculants for, uh, for uh, bovine animals to digest all of the hay and the feed that they're uh, eating. And uh, one of my dear friends, a microbiologist, had this company in, in Florida, and I was telling him, you know, what I was doing. He said, you know, it might be really cool. He goes, let me send you some of these uh, biologicals we use to decompose um, organic materials inside the intestines of uh, bovine animals and just experiment with them, see what you come up with. And I did. And I did that for two years, and I noticed, I mean, very, very quickly that the efficacy of the organic materials that I was using back then were being digested literally three to four times as quickly as they were without biologicals. So that was really my, that was, you know, the, um, the, the, the disruptive idea that really allowed me to enter a very crowded space back then. I mean, besides, besides fertilizers being crowded and a very tight uh, industry, mm -hmm. there was nobody doing anything organic. So here I am at 24 years old. I invent this, the very first probiotic fertilizer. My father is a very humble man. He's a tailor. So it's not like he's a stock market, uh, you know, broker, you know, 40,000 for him is like, you know, earned one stitch at a time is a lot of money for him. A lot, a lot of money. That's his nest egg. It was, it was everything. But he gave the other kids in the family a chance. And he said, I've given everybody else a chance. Here's your chance. Let's see what you can do with it. So he gave me a $40,000 loan. And I use the word loan because it's important. It took me 10 years, but I paid my father back every single penny he let me borrow. And by the way, I'm one of the, I'm the only kid out of all the kids he's helped that's ever paid a penny back. Um, so I'm very proud of that. Not only have I paid my loan back, but I've been able to pay that loan back 10, 10, tenfold just you know obviously it's family so i mean he's he gave me the opportunity of a lifetime yeah absolutely and not only have you paid your father back but you know how many countless gardeners have has dr earth benefited you know over the years um kind of getting into that the name dr earth seems like an obvious name for a company like what you were putting together did you come up with the name dr earth or how did how did that yeah, I did. Me. I'm very proud of that. Actually, that's that's my mark. And uh, I used to live with a, uh, a yellow pad and, uh, you know, uh, pen next to my bed so I can capture my thoughts. So, you know, I'd have I, you know, was putting the company together. And, and besides formulas, you know, coming up with a with a brand name was very important to me. So it took me about seven months, but I finally when I it came to me, maybe three or four in the morning. I wrote mm -hmm. it down, and that was the only time that when I woke up in the morning, I had, you know, 10 brand names that I had jotted down throughout the night. But Dr. Earth, it just seemed like the most natural name. It's a healing name. It's, um, it, it just, it just, you know, it is what it says it is. I mean, it gives back to the earth. It heals. It's, it, it's everything I wanted to do was to heal the earth and, and to do it in, in a very environmentally conscious way. Yeah. Um, now, when you started Dr. Earth and you started, you know, pitching to, uh, I'm assuming you started locally, you know, local garden centers, uh, was it well received or did it take some convincing and how did you win over your skeptics? It was not easy. It was really not easy. I mean, first of all, you've got this really young guy, 25 years old. I didn't have any distributors. I was selling everything out of the back of my pickup truck and, um, the very first account that I was able to establish was Sunset Boulevard Nursery. Great right nursery. In 
Hollywood. Yeah, they're great, phenomenal. And when, the owner, Dennis Kuga, uh, has turned out to be a great mentor and uh, just a great friend over the years. He still carries Dr. Earth, and um, he gave me my chance. I mean, he was the first one to stock it, and then he introduced me to other independent nursery owners in Los Angeles. And about two and a half years after that, Eric, I was finally picked up by distribution, L&L distributors. They were the very first ones to pick us up. And this was in uh, 1997. Nice, nice. Now, would you say 97 is kind of when you went from startup to the, the next level of, of Dr. Earth and, and, and distribution? Absolutely, yes. Uh, because I started the company in 92. And I started, that's when, you know, we landed the very first account in 1992, but it took me about five years of direct selling and, you know, just getting enough placement to where a distributor would actually look at you. Yeah. And that took me five years. So yes, 97 was definitely the tipping point for the company. You know, I, I think that's a great thing for people to keep in mind, especially young entrepreneurs, you know, they see Dr. Earth products in, you know, every shelf, you know, of, of, of a store that's selling gardening products, but it took a lot of hard work to get to that point. <laughs> Eric, I didn't turn a penny. I mean, in terms of profitability, one of the things that I cannot reinforce enough to young entrepreneurs and to just to young people with a dream, any dream, is that you have to be patient and you can't give up on your ideas. I didn't turn a single penny in profit for about seven and a half years. I literally had four jobs at the same time. Yep. While I was running Dr. Earth, doing that on the weekends, I was, you know, I grew up in Hollywood, so I was, you know, working in, in, in the Hollywood and, you know, the movie industry. I, uh, my older brother's an architect and a contractor, so I was swinging the hammer whenever I could to, you know, earn, uh, earn money. I was also doing landscaping work, and then I would do Dr. Earth on the weekends. So, I mean, I, I had four jobs at the time, and it took me over seven years before I turned my very first dollar of profit. So, I'm, yes, persistence. If you believe in something, strongly enough you'll get there and that's the one thing i always reiterate to young people just stick to it if you really believe you're doing something great don't give up your dreams will come true yeah and anything worth having is worth working hard at and anything worth having generally doesn't come easy so you know stick to it and you'll get to where you want to be eventually right Absolutely. Um, now, let's get into your products. Um, you know, I know when you were first starting out uh, making your products, like fish uh, inputs were, were a big ingredient. Um, what are some of your favorite ingredients that you use to compose Dr. Earth's uh, product line? And, you know, can you tell us anything unique about your production process? Yeah, I can. Um, let's just hit the uh, dry fertilizers first because that's how I that was you know that's how I started the company was building a dry fertilizer line and I haven't changed the recipe much over the years but remember the story about you know the, the pilgrims and Indians I use fish bone meal as the base ingredient and I also use fish meal and kelp meal these are the base ingredients uh, for the product line whereas my competitors use chicken manure and which in the two totally different worlds. So mm -hmm. one thing that makes us very different than most people we compete against is that we're a fish bone company. We do not use any manures, period. And that's a huge differentiator, Eric, because a ton of fish bone is twelve, thirteen hundred dollars and you can get a ton of chicken manure for about fifty to sixty dollars. 
So there's a real material value, a huge difference between the inputs that we use and what's available to us out there. You know, we can cheapen the product and make massive amounts of uh, additional profits, but it's not the right thing to do. It'll create an inferior product. So that's that's the big deal with uh, what we do um, with the dry fertilizers. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, as you know, as Dr. Earth became more popular over the years, I'd say in 98, 99, we had the very first uh, knockoff product where they began to use uh, microbes and, uh, and mycorrhizal uh, species as well. So I don't have a patent on probiotics, first one to do it. Um, so that's not a big differentiator these days because most of my competition buys uh, biologicals from the very same people we buy biologicals from. But it's still, you know, the core inputs are very different. I mean, you know, chicken manure versus fish bone two different worlds yeah and i i think you know you get what you pay for in life and you know just kind of thinking about manure manure has already gone through a digestive process whereas you know kelp meal fish meal you know and and bone meal has yet to be digested by microbes so you're, you're getting it you know one step ahead in the process with, with what you're using Precisely. And I, there's also the salt index. I mean, manures have a really high salt index, which yeah. is phytotoxic to plants. So yep. that's not good. Also, whenever you use manures, you'll, you're also passing along uh, pathogens. I mean, E. coli, salmonella, uh, not every time, but they do exist in manures and especially in chicken manures. And you remember the whole Jack in the Box um, fiasco? That was all chicken manure based. Um, how about the... Um, 92 people that passed away in California from that whole spinach uh, deal. It took them four years to put the, you know, to, to finally figure out what it was, but it was chicken manure that a guy had used on his organic field. And they learned that as he was using overhead uh, irrigation, they learned that as the water was uh, splashing on the ground, the manure was splashing up on the uh, foliage. Wow. So these poor people were just simply taking spinach that they thought was grown organically and selling it to consumers saying, hey, you've got a great ingredient, you know, great product because it's certified organic. Sure. So, you know, manures, they carry a host of potential um, problems. I'm not saying it's a problem every time. Sure. Eric, but you avoid these problems by making choices that eliminate it and uh, really minimize the risk. Yeah, yeah. And, and when you're using, you know, manures, you can use too much, whereas, you know, good clean organic fertilizers you could practically dump the whole bottle you know in the soil and and the plants will only take up what they can take up then yeah, exactly i mean you know it's it's you know the microbes they're the greatest buffer because you know they can only digest so much yep and because they're not water soluble you know it's not like whatever you put on the soil has to be absorbed within a 24-hour period. Otherwise, it leaches through the soil and you right. know, the plants never have access to it. So just that whole process of um, organic materials decomposing and being digested slowly, it's kind of like the perfect way to eat, even for human beings. Slow, consistent, three square meals a day as opposed to the buffet mentality, which is kind of like, here it is, triple 20. It's all available all at one time. Eat as much as you can. I'm not going to feed you again for six weeks. And there's a real dynamic with that. I mean, the way we feed plants is they get to eat all the time for the six-week period, and slowly. 
So that also has an environmental uh, you know, implication as well. Because the soil, because I'm sorry, plants or plant roots are able to absorb 100% of the fertilizer that's been applied, that means you have zero waste. So if you spend a little bit more up front and you use an, an organic material that is just more recalcitrant and takes a little bit longer to break down, that's okay because your roots will be able to access 100% of it as opposed to saving a few dollars and putting something that's completely soluble or even manures. Chicken manure is highly soluble. I mean, I know it's an organic material, but it's a highly soluble uh, material. And if the plant roots can't use it immediately, then the majority of it washes away. So I think there's a huge difference between that uh, mentality and that, uh, that sort of thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, kind of going uh, into the environment, uh, what is Dr. Earth doing for the environment? And, uh, you know, I guess, you know, maybe in the in the grand scheme of things, uh, corporate wise. Um, I'm very proud to say that we have I run the only carbon negative company in the lawn and garden industry. And the way I'm able to do that is I bought a retired uh, Air Force base, 160 acres. And it consists of four different parcels, um, you know, 10 buildings, so on and so forth. So we make everything here on site. Um, soils, fertilizers, insecticides, weed killers, everything's made here. But I also put 125 acres of that 160 acres in a conservation easement so that it can never be developed. So what we do is I allow, I only have seven of them, they're pets, seven cows, which is just perfect for them to graze 125 acres. And they really just do it just to keep the grass nice and knocked down for me. They're very healthy. Um, so I, I feed them that way, they're pets. Secondly, we also have a CCOF, a certified organic farm here on the property. And what I do is nothing ever leaves the facility. If it makes it on the, on the, the factory, uh, quote, uh, slash farm, um, we use everything. So we also grow tomatoes, vegetables, you know, really just a host of different edibles, give them to our workers to take home, and the rest we donate to the food bank. So, you know, we, we don't throw anything away, Eric, nothing. So if there's, let's say, hypothetically, something's damaged in, uh, in shipping or something along those lines, we gladly take it back because we use it to grow more grass for the cows or use it to grow more tomatoes and, and cucumbers and, and melons or whatever we're growing to feed the community and, uh, and give back to the, uh, to the workers. Nice. It's enough to simply say, well, I have an organic product. Yes, it's good. It's better than saying I have a chemical product. But, you know, what does that really do? A lot, anybody can buy a commodity, put a brand name on it, but not really have any material impact on the environment. And what we do does have a huge material impact because our factory doesn't pollute, doesn't double ship anything. Also, a lot of the vegetables that we grow here on site, we also press and we make more fertilizer out of it. So we grow our own fertilizer as well as recycling uh, materials from supermarkets, organic materials from supermarkets. So really, I mean, when you talk about the mm -hmm. liquid part of what we're doing, um, it's anything you would see at the, uh, the supermarket and the uh, perishable uh, aisle. Yeah, they're just going to throw it away anyway, so you might as well turn it into a fertilizer product. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So we're doing both. We're turning it into a fertilizer product, and uh, we're also turning it into uh, pet foods as well. Oh, nice. 
uh, plant-based pet food. So there's a lot of neat stuff that we're doing. Awesome. Now, I thought I saw somewhere also that you guys were doing something with your bottling. Yes, we're uh, we're ocean bound uh, certified. So, you know, we use uh, plastic that um, is post consumer. And what's really cool about the whole ocean bound uh, relationship is that this is not something we're going out to the uh, to the ocean and, you know, harvesting plastics that have already polluted the ocean. We go to third world countries, we pay local villagers to collect their own trash that never made it into the ocean that was never washed into the ocean. And in these third world countries, we have equipment there. And what, you know, what we do is we shred everything up, melt it down, ship it back to the U.S. where we make our bottles in Southern California. Um, now, kind of getting back into, you know, organic ingredients, you had mentioned that, uh, you know, chicken uh, manure especially would be kind of an inferior ingredient. Are there any other organic uh, materials that you think gardeners should maybe be aware of or you know if they're not if they shouldn't stay away from it entirely to at least you know be conscious of you know where it's coming from and what it is um or is it mainly manure products that people should really be conscious of that's the only one that worries me and and it's not so much chicken manure i don't i don't have really anything against chicken manure i just think that the chicken manure that's being packaged up is it has the most potential for pathogens because it's factory farming. Now, if somebody has chickens in their backyard and they're able to rake up the manure and compost it and, and use it in their own garden, and that's usually 99.99% of the time very safe. And, and I actually like that kind of chicken manure. It's just the factory farm chicken manure that I'm very, you know, that's what worries me because of the conditions that these um, chickens are grown. And also there's the humane factor. It's a very, you know, inhumane way to farm anything. Uh, I'm not a fan of it. So, I mean, you know, I've always said that just because it's organic doesn't right. mean it's good. You know, nicotine sulfate is organic, but it doesn't necessarily mean sure, that it's good. Sure, sure. And then also, you know, well, with the input ingredients the that these animals the are consuming, uh, the very lowest, all GMO, uh, GMO contaminated, plus to make sure that their chickens don't get sick, they have to pump them full of antibiotics and, and hormones to fatten them up. So, I mean, these poor chickens are getting the worst of everything, conditions, food, the worst quality food. <clears throat> and then then we have these companies raising their hands saying, hey, we're great, we're organic, and you know, we're certified organic. And they're taking this waste and having it certified organic and misleading consumers into believing, well, it's certified organic, it must be good. That doesn't always necessarily translate to, uh, to the truth. Right. Um, so, you know, speaking of GMOs, what are your general thoughts on GMO technology and, and farming? You know, is there a place for it or should we just try and avoid it altogether? You know, this is one that I was in, one, in my first book. I really focused on this, did a lot of research. As you know, I'm from uh, from Vacaville. So Genentech is just down the street from me here. And in 96, when that was released, where the very first uh, organism was actually released up here and you know i you know it's almost letting the the genie out of the bottle it's really almost impossible to put it back in and that's there's just some things in life that i don't understand enough to have to be able to make a decision you know about 
how the world should be touched and who gets to play God in, in, in a situation like that. And the reason why I'm not a big fan of GMOs is because anytime you take something and you alter it, unless you give it enough time and have enough historical data to, to prove that it's safe, you're still kind of dancing with the unknown. And, and, and for that reason, I'm not a big fan of it. Now, sure, things in, that, in nature are going to, you know, be, be hybridized. Just they come together, and that's how you get different species. But when you take something out of a out of a um, out of a nucleus and you change the molecular structure to do something different or behave differently, you know, I, I personally am not a fan of it. I don't, you know, eat GMO foods, and I don't use anything GMO in my company. But you know, there's a lot of people that believe there's a place for it more on the medical side and i believe there may be you know if it's if we're talking about genetically modifying a kidney or a liver or something to keep human beings alive then there's probably you will need genetically modified uh, technologies but i think it's two different things i think when you and i say well hey should we genetically modify alfalfa so that this way um when we spray it with uh, you know roundup uh, ready uh, weed killer that it controls everything and let it be what it is i don't think that that's necessary is there a place for it as i said you know using the stem cell technology or to grow uh, organs and, and you know other body parts to keep people alive i'd probably say that i agree with it. i mean if somebody in my family were sick and that's the only way we're going to save them i'm sure you would feel the same exact way let's let's use it sure sure yeah i i totally agree that you know once you let the genie out of the bottle it's very hard to put him back in and you know a lot of this technology yeah you know we've done the research in laboratories but you know real world you know we don't know if gmo salmon is going to take over the ocean and totally displace uh you know what's naturally out there so you know i I, I'm I'm with you. I you know I I'm a technology guy, but I'm also a little little skeptical uh, as well. Um, now uh, let's see. Now, uh, what do you think about people who have uh, grown organically and have not had good results? Um, I'm thinking that it's because they were using you know just the organic input ingredients and probably not the microbiology to go with it. What, what do you think about that? I think that's exactly right. That was the birth of uh, Dr. Earth was to solve organic materials having such a bad reputation because they didn't work or the perception was they didn't work. And by the time the gardener became so frustrated and actually used a chemical product, it was just enough time for the microbes to build up their colonies to a large enough size to break the organic materials down. Um, you know, Eric, it also depends on like how living the soil is. If, you, if you've been an organic gardener for a few years, even if you never use an inoculant, you should have enough uh, biodiversity and biology in the soil to break organic materials down. If you're dealing with a sterile soil or somebody that's been gardening chemically and now they all of a sudden want to go organic and they say, well, I can just use, for example, pure alfalfa meal or pure fishbone meal and they don't get the results. It's simply because there are no microbes in the soil to break it down. It's kind of like you and I, unless there's beneficial organisms inside our body, whenever we eat something, we can't break it down. So then the soil is very much the same way. It, you have to have living organisms in the soil. 
And I think you're spot on when you say, without the biology, organics don't work. That's just a fact. Yeah. Uh, I had a great mentor a number of years back by uh, the name of Harley Smith. And the biggest thing that he drove home to me was plants cannot absorb large organic molecules. They have to be first broken down by microbes. And really using organic fertilizers without the microbes is, you know, you're really missing the whole point. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, he's, he's a smart man. Um, now, what is Dr. Earth working on currently to, you know, either innovate your existing product line or having uh, new products come down the line? I, I know the company's been in existence for a few decades now and, you know, organic gardening has been around really as long as we've been growing plants, technically. Um, what, right. Is there anything cool that you guys are working on for, for the future? I'm always working on something, Eric, but I'm, you know, I, I, I can't divulge. People need to learn. Yeah, yeah, exactly. After product launch, you'll learn what I'm working on. But we're always doing some really cool stuff. The last thing we just did was uh, come out with a uh, soil detox. And basically, this was um, for the for the gardeners. I mean, you know, just post COVID, all of a sudden there was this mad rush for for city people to start gardening at home. And one of the things that I learned when, when I was a kid growing up in los angeles i remember like you know all of uh, my friends dads they changed the motor oil and just dump it in the backyard i mean no one was told any wiser i mean it was the clean paint thinner everything and so then all of a sudden these you know gardeners want to garden organically and they're just planting in soil in homes that have been in existence for over 200 years and can you imagine the pollution that homeowners that you know just using their backyard as their dumping ground literally so what I did is I came up with a really cool formula that absorbs and neutralizes and locks up these metals and uh, petroleums and um, and other um, you know lacquers and uh, j just things that are not necessarily good for your plants to absorb. Um, so that's called Clean, Doctor Earth Clean, and it's a soil detox. And we just released that. That was my latest and uh, greatest uh, invention. And uh, I'll try to keep doing cool stuff like that. Nice, nice. Um, now. What do you think is the biggest challenge for the soil and fertilizer industry uh, now and then going forward? I think we're at an inflection point right now. I think you've got, you know, marketing dollars are so powerful that, and especially with those gardeners, unless you're a diehard gardener like you and I, who live in this industry and live in this space, and it's all we think about 24 hours a day, if you're the typical homeowner gardener, you're told a message and you're at, you know, your local nursery, maybe once, maybe twice a year to buy a fertilizer product. And all you get is this message from, you know, on television saying, well, this is the greatest thing. It's certified organic, so on and so forth. And it goes back to manures. I mean, so I think there's a lack of education or companies divulging the complete truth about organic. So I think there's, there's that because we forget. I mean, if we're only buying something twice a year, we tend to forget what we studied 10 months ago or 11 months ago. Um, and it's very different with the food industry. With the food industry, when we lock into an idea, you know, we're typically buying that food product on a weekly basis. So it's, it's relevant, it's, it's, it's current in mind, top of mind. So we tend to stay on top of it. Um, but with the fertilizer industry, I still think you've got this major pull push, you know, uh, with, um, traditional synthetic products 
and companies that have been making traditional synthetics now making organic products and the messaging that they're sending out to um, to new gardeners and i think there's just a lot of confusion there yeah with not everything organic is necessarily good makes sense um yeah i was checking out your products and your pump and grow line makes a lot of sense to me um can you please describe that uh the thought process behind you know what what came into that product coming into being and why that's ideal for soil and plants it's all food based so what's in pump and grow is what we grow here at the facility the leftover uh, vegetables we don't eat but it also comes from like your whole foods your your sort you know markets that have a certified organic uh, department and we have a partner that what they do is they literally harvest um, the perishable material so the reason why the you know i can take one of our pump and grow products and just put it directly in my mouth because it was a food a human grade food product mm -hmm. not more than six weeks before that full you know whole lobster whole whole fish whole you know chicken breast not chicken manure whole chicken breast so anything that's perishable lettuce tomatoes anything that's what makes up that product and that's why it's so safe so you know to me i thought you know wouldn't it be really cool if we can just put it in a pump dispenser and so that this way you can kind of walk around put a you know put a few pumps per container and it's so safe that if you didn't water it down immediately you can come and water it even after a couple of hours so um that was that was the birth of that idea to put something in the soil that you didn't have to make a concoction of um, you know, because as guys, we tend to love to make mixes and it's, it's, we don't mind with the mess and all that. But not every consumer wants that. I mean, a lot of people just want something that's really easy. They just want to walk around with a pump, squirt it into the container. It's easy. And now they can have access to the highest quality ingredients, but with a really, to use, uh, really easy to use applicator. And that was the thought process behind that. Yeah, I, I, I think, um, you know, people in general want things easy and simple, but they also want the best. So if we can give them the best plants, but make it, you know, super and simple, super simple for them, uh, all the better. Um, now, Smart Pots being the original, you know, fabric uh, growing container, um, all of our, you know, customers are obviously container growers. Do you have any tips for container growers uh, in general when using uh, Dr. Earth products? I do. Um, I think that with all containers, when you, uh, it all depends on when you're planting. I mean, if you just, some people just put, uh, fill the container up and then plant in it later, or they'll plant in it right away. When using a dry fertilizer, I always like to take the opportunity of putting it a little deeper into the soil and allow the roots to grow into it. That seems to be one of the best methods that I've learned over the years. And then use the liquid fertilizer to feed it because then that'll just make its way down and saturate the entire uh, soil uh, material. That's the one big tip I would say is like make sure that the roots have something to grow into. Now you can homogenize the entire blend. If you're growing indoors, I don't recommend that because of the odor and it's going to attract uh, fungus gnats, so on and so forth. And that's the reason why the liquids are typically much better because of the odor issue to be used indoors. Now, if you're an outdoor grower, absolutely homogenize the dry fertilizer with the soil material, put it in the smart, uh, smart pot, you're good to go. Then when you, wanna, when you wanna feed it later on, you can use any liquid fertilizer 
I mean, I know you guys make uh, from very small uh, grow bags to, you know, industrial size uh, grow bags. Um, so a pump and grow is not going to really work uh, well for uh, one of your uh, one yard uh, containers, but then they can use uh, a liquid product any way they choose to at a later point. That would be the one big tip yep. that I would recommend. Nice. Now, uh, what is your favorite consumable plant to grow? Personally, personally I'm, I'm a big uh, cucumber person. I, I love to grow cucumbers. I just a whole variety of that. Obviously, the heirloom tomatoes. These nice, are my two nice. personal I, I'm favorites. a big uh, pickle fan, so I, I grew cucumbers for the last uh, the first time right. last year and then got into pickling, and that was a whole adventure in and of itself. <laughs> Yeah, pickling is cool. Actually, I, I when I had more time on my hands, I used to grow and pickle. You know, with the, that's just it's it's a lot of fun doing. Yeah, that. and there's many uh, many uh, nutritional benefits to us humans for uh, consuming uh, fermented uh, foods and, and beverages. In a huge way, I've been I've been drinking kombucha for years because of that. I mean, anything fermented in my world is is a big big friend huge ass yeah because whenever you're introducing something that's beneficial to your microorganisms in your digestive system you're, you're just benefiting yourself in the long run absolutely yeah. um now uh do you have any i guess gardening tips that you feel is like a secret weapon or, or maybe something that you know might be outside of the fertilizer realm that that you can think of that you know is, is a go-to tactic that that you uh, think really drives success in the garden. Absolutely. And this is one of the most overlooked details that gardeners just simply forget because it's so common sense. Microdosing. Don't ever give a plant the full dosage of food at one time. If you left a garden as much as guys like you and I do, um, if it, if let's say, you know, it calls for two pounds, hypothetically, in one of your larger grow, uh, grow bags. Start out with a uh, quarter pound. And then instead of waiting the eight weeks, why don't you just wait a week, week and a half, and then give it another pound, and then so on and so forth, so that this way by the end of the eight-week period, you've broken up that two pounds into four different applications. So microdosing, giving it a quarter of the amount that's prescribed, is a very, very good way to really gain 100% of the uh, nutritional uh, attributes of any fertilizer, always. And then secondly, if you can use a liquid fertilizer every time you water, same exact thing, you can go down to 10, 15% of the fertilizer. So let's just say it calls for two ounces per one gallon. We'll use a quarter of uh, an ounce for the gallon and every time you water, because if the if plant roots are receiving nutrients with every single watering, but a small amount, they're going to do much better than getting the entire load at once uh, in one uh, one feeding application. So that's always been one of my secret trip uh, tricks: give it just twenty five percent of what it needs. That makes total sense because you know you think of I always say people and plants are more similar than we than most people realize, and you know. Would you rather eat one huge meal a day or would you rather break that up into three or four smaller meals? I think most people would agree that breaking it up makes the most sense. And uh, to me, that's how I like to fertilize my plants is just how you described there. So that's awesome that you mentioned that. Um, 
Now, where can people go for more information on, you know, Dr. Earth? Um, you know, I, I'm assuming you guys have a lot of educational resources that people can uh, can get a hold of. Absolutely. Just uh, visit us at DrEarth.com, D-R-E-A-R-T-H.com. Um, it's a very extensive uh, website, Eric, and um, I've written three books. The literature from all three books have been flowed into the entire website. Um, there's also a lot of catalogs that they can download that we've been I've been writing since uh, 2001. There's got to be at least 14, 15 catalogs on, on our website that they can download. So it's a very, very educational website. I really pride myself on educating the gardener so that they can be successful and, and draw their own conclusion as far as what works best for them and their families and their garden. Right. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you know, gardening should be fun. It shouldn't be, you know, a chore or, you know, monotonous because, you know, then you're not getting the benefit out of it. Um, so I, I guess, did you have any last, you know, words to, uh, uh, you know, to pass along to our viewers here on, you know, just gardening in general? Um, yes, just because it says organic, read the label, educate yourself, and not everything organic is good. There's a huge difference. Not everything that's organic is sustainable. Not everything that's organic should be used. And every gardener should really educate themselves as to, and not everything that's organic is humane. And that's a big part of organics. I mean, what is sustainability? A big part of it just can't be whether it's carbon-based uh, or whether it hasn't been, uh, you know, sprayed with a chemical. A big part of it is like, well, what's the, what's the humane ramifications of using an ingredient like this? I mean, that's that's a big part of it. I mean, feel comfortable with what you're using. Absolutely. And, and grow in the best containers in the world. Use smart pots. Well, like that, that's a given, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You guys make the best breathable pots, and uh, I'm a huge fan, and, uh, you know, have to bring you out to the uh, ranch sometime and show you uh, how your containers are being used at the Dr. Earth uh, home. I know. Milo, thank you so much for your time today. This has been really educational, uplifting, uh, and, and I hope uh, gardeners, uh, if you're not already using Dr. Earth products, uh, check it out. It'll really help your garden. Thank you very much, Eric. Thank you. Feeling very mutual. Thanks.